following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Now tonight is a very special night for me because it's the last night that I will be teaching you this year before summer gets you. See, I know what day it is. Sunday is Memorial Day weekend, and the next Sunday that really matters, besides Father's Day, is Labor Day weekend. And you've got June, July, and August in between these two great holidays, these bookends of people going, <laughs> just running everywhere. And we're going to be holding the fort down. We're going to be teaching and preaching and having church. And when you come back from your vacation, we hope we have another hundred people for you to meet when you walk in the door. I think that's all right. I think we saw the other day that in the last three months, we've had 312 new people join our church. Isn't that pretty cool? Isn't that cool? That's nice. And I'm I'm also seeing people that are coming back for the first time right now back to church. I met two wonderful people tonight that I love dearly, and they're back in church tonight. And so you know what? It's time to put it in your rearview mirror and just keep going and walking forward because we're into something good in 2021. Now, Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, how many believe that the wind still blows? You believe that? We have new people here tonight, and we want you to be excited about being here tonight. Now, I normally don't take but about 25 or 30 minutes. I may go a little bit longer tonight because I have a few more words. I know exactly how many words I have, and to have this many words, I know how long it's going to take almost to the minute. I've been doing this a while. So please be patient if I'm not done right at 8.30 because I will be done soon. But stay around for the last part. You don't want to leave at the last part. You want to hang in here because the last part's the best part. I did that on purpose. I'm teaching tonight on prophecy in the Passover. Prophecy in the Passover. Now, I hear that phone ringing. I'm glad it's not mine. Mine has rung before. I was teaching one Wednesday night in the old building, and it was, uh, my phone started ringing. I had it here. I was going to make an illustration. My phone, it started ringing. I said, oh, my God. And it said, Mama. (laughs) Mother was calling me. On Wednesday night, I'm in the pulpit. That's a true story. You that were here knew that. And I said, hey, Mom. She said, what are you doing, son? I said, Mom, I'm in the middle of teaching a Bible study on Wednesday night. Is this Wednesday night? Yeah, Mom, it's Wednesday night. Oh, my Lord, you better call me when church is over. I need to talk to you. Okay, Mama, bye. <laughs> I wish that would happen again. <laughs> Leviticus 23, while you're standing, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be a holy convocation. Even these are my feast. These are my feasts, says the Lord. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do work therein. It is the Sabbath 
of the Lord in all your dwellings. Everybody's. These are the feasts of the Lord. He said it again. Even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons in the 14th day of the first month, and even is the Lord's Passover. Everybody say prophecy, prophecy. In, the Passover. in the Passover. I'm going to attempt to teach this tonight. I feel good about it. Research that I've done through my life. I want to present it to you tonight. Say, I'm going to help the pastor. You may be seated. <laughs> Leviticus 23 is a key chapter in unlocking the prophetic mysteries of the Bible. The seven feasts of the Old Testament give us a divine blueprint for the future of the world. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, feasts are a shadow of things to come. Here's a statement of fact. Everything God is going to do in the future, He has already done in the past. He's a patterned and principled God. If you really want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, we must clearly examine what God has already done yesterday. This earth functions with sameness because God set it up that way. The sun rises at an allotted time. The sun sets at an allotted time. The full moons come and they go. He tells the ocean how far it can come inland. Proverbs 30 said, who has ascended up to heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell. That's powerful. You can track this God. And when you can't track him, you can trust him. Amen. The word feast in the Hebrew is moed. It means a set time or an appointed time. Everybody say set time, appointed time. Another Hebrew word connected to the feast is mikra, a rehearsal or recital. And you put these two together and it means this, that God is showing us through the seven feasts a rehearsal of the future at an appointed time. A rehearsal at an appointed time. Everything that God will do, I'll say it again, He's already done. The Old Testament is seeing reality through shadows. The feast days Israel celebrated were time appointed by God. They were communal and they were commemorative. And they were used to bring the people of Israel together to celebrate the Lord and to celebrate His works. And God appointed seven times for His people to do this in the Old Testament. The observance of these holidays presented the Hebrews' life lessons on things like sin and judgment, forgiveness, and the need for thanksgiving and praise. And the importance of trusting God instead of their possessions. But greater than this, I believe, was the theological importance of how each of these feasts were typologically and how they are the foreshadowing of a greater fulfillment found in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to talk about the Passover. I'm going to talk about prophecy in the Passover. Now, the first of these feast days is Passover. Say Passover. Passover. It's, a, it's a word from, from the Hebrew called Pesach. Pesach. I think it's up there. Yeah, there it is. That's Pesach. Exodus 12. Here's the background. God had just sent nine plagues against Egypt to judge them for Israel's captivity. 
and to use these to ultimately set the Hebrews free. And God's about to bring the 10th plague, which is the killing of the firstborn of every household. Anybody ever read that? Raise your hand. Am I giving you new material? All right. If you hadn't, stay with me. However, God is making provisions for the people of Israel to be spared from the plague that's going to come, which is the killing of the firstborn. And in Exodus chapter 12, this is what he says. This is a long reading, but stay with me. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And the animals you choose must be a year old, a male, without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And this is how you are to eat it. Watch this. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you're to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both man and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. That's where we get the word Passover. When he saw the blood, the death angel passed over the house. So God will spare those of Israel who act in faith and slaughter a lamb that is without defect and take some of the blood and put it on their doorpost so that when the Lord came through to strike down the firstborn of all of Egypt, he would pass over those houses with the blood on them and spare them. That's a lasting ordinance, one that is repeated every year in a Jewish home as a reminder of what God did for his people. Now, let me just stop here and say, if the blood of a four-footed lamb Stop the death angel from destroying the firstborn in the house covered by the blood. What do you think the blood of the Lamb of God can do when you claim it on your house? Oh, somebody ought to get happy about that. There is power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. In modern homes today, on the first night of Passover, during the Seder, there's a tradition of three pieces of matzah, unleavened bread, and the middle piece is broken before dinner, the middle piece, two on the side, one in the middle, that middle piece, and a larger piece is wrapped in a napkin and hidden. Then at a point in the meal, it's searched for and found, and each person is given a piece of the hidden bread to eat. The symbolism of this middle piece of unleavened bread with the matzah being pierced with holes and striped is symbolic of Christ, the bread of life, who said to his disciples as he broke this bread and said, take and eat, this is my body, which will be given up for you, the body that was hidden in the tomb. This is the hidden bread, but did not stay hidden in the tomb, but resurrected to eternal life. Aren't you glad that we have the bread of life in our life? 
and it's not no longer hidden. It is alive and well, and we get to experience it every day in our life. Amen. Now, the day after Passover was another appointed time. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Say Unleavened Bread. You read about it in Exodus 12. We'll not take time tonight speaking on Passover prophecy. This was another day celebrated as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. They were to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day to the evening of the 21st day. And I know I'm just giving you stats here, but stay with me. For seven days, no yeast should be found in their homes. This was the day the Israelites actually left Egypt, the day after Passover. The yeast was taken out of their houses. This was done meticulously and it was done quickly. This represented the haste they were in to leave Egypt with no leavened bread with them. See, leaven represented sin and they baked without leaven. That's why you don't like to take communion because it don't taste good like crackers. It's unleavened. It doesn't have any leaven in it. It doesn't have anything to rise in it. And they left out and got out quickly. The blood had been applied. Get out now. Do not hesitate. Yeast represents, in metaphor, an invisible, pervasive influence. And it's often associated with corrupting influence, such as sin. And removal of yeast was symbolic of purification from sin. So Jewish households continue to do this cleansing out all of the chamits. Anything that has yeast in it, that, my friend, is a spring cleaning. Get the yeast out of your house. You know what I would like to tell all of you tonight? You need to go home tonight after this lesson because it's going to get better as we go on. But you're going, you need to go home and say, Lord, I plead the blood over my house tonight. The blood of the Lamb. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. I plead the blood. And Lord, if there's anything in this house that's not worthy of your presence, get it out of our house. We want a house that's free. We want a house that's clean. We want a house that's pure. We want a house that's righteous in the sight of God. And you don't go out and beat your chest and say, I got a righteous home. You just say, God, it's me and you. And we want our house to be right in the sight of God. Can you say amen to that? And the third feast of Israel is the feast of first fruits. And you know what that is. Leviticus 23 talks about it. It gives us a summary of all the feasts of Israel. And it says in Leviticus 23, 9 through 11, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, you reap its, its harvest. I bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain in your harvest. Everybody say, the first sheaf. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. That's a Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday in the Old Testament. You must not eat any bread or roast it of new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for all the generation to come wherein you live. Now, let me just explain this. This is the Feast of First Fruits. And they were to give the priest the first fruit that they picked. And they were not to eat anything until the priest waved their first fruit. Folks, I'm telling you, some of you have never got a principle of honoring God with your wealth and with your time and with your talent. And somewhere in your life, you're going to have to learn how to tell God, God, you're going to be first in my life. My praise is going to be to you before I do anything else. 
My love is going to be the first to you before anybody else. I'm going to love you first. I'm going to love you princely. I'm going to love you kingly. I'm going to love you with everything that I have. And I want you, my high priest, to wave what I have brought to you because you will always be first in my life. Can you say that tonight? Can you say that tonight? Church does not need to be an option. Church does not need to be, well, should we go, should we not? Should we go, should we not? Yes, no. Boom, boom, boom. What do we do? Oh, it's time to go. No, church is not an option. Church is a place where you need to be a part of it every time the doors are open and you open up your heart, you open up your spirit and you thank God and you give the high priest a sheaf to wave and say, I will not eat until I praise the Lord. I will not do anything with my cash, with my money until I give to God. That's good teaching. That's good teaching. That's good teaching. The feast occurs on the day after the Sabbath following Passover. So it's Sunday. That would always be on a Sunday. The Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. So on the day of first fruits, they were to wave the first fruits of the barley harvest to honor God, declaring their trust in his provision, not theirs, and faithfulness. Now this is how Jesus fulfills Passover. Jesus entered Jerusalem on selection day. Palm Sunday was selection day for the lambs and they'd be sacrificed on Passover. Not only was Jesus selected by God on selection day, he was sacrificed on preparation day. And at the precise hour that lambs were sacrificed, lambs were slain at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That's when they died. And Jesus died at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The veil in the temple, though, was ripped in twain from top to bottom. One writer said the veil just dissipated into nothingness like it was sand. They couldn't sew it back up. And at his burial, the day after, unleavened bread, he took the leaven out of our hearts. He took the sin out of our hearts at Calvary. And he buried our sins with him in the grave. That's why we baptize today. We baptize because sin needs to be remitted and buried with Jesus Christ so we can rise in the newness of life, walking with him in a brand new life. Then first fruits, he came out of the grave. The first fruits of resurrection, we wave him. He is the living bread we hold to honor for what he has done. Folks, let me tell you something. Every day at church ought to be Resurrection Sunday. Every day, every Sunday ought to be Resurrection Sunday. I don't care if it is Memorial Day weekend. We ought to walk in here Sunday waving our sheaves and saying, thank you, Lord, for another Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for another Sunday. Thank you for another weekend. We're going to praise you. We thank you for coming out of the grave. We thank you for rising from the dead. We thank you for being our preeminent king. Amen. Look at this illustration using Joseph and Jesus. I think this is so cool. This is going to to mess with you. One is Old Testament and one is New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's word, it's God's word concealed. In the New Testament, it's God's word revealed. That's what the old and the new is. Give you time to take a picture of that. That's good stuff for your refrigerator. Number one, Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers with food. Jesus was sent by his father to this earth as the bread of life and living water. See how the symbol is? Joseph was rejected by his brothers when he got to Dothan. Jesus was rejected when he came to earth. 
He came into his own and his own received him not. Joseph was sold by his brethren for a price of a slave into Egypt. Jesus was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent to prison. And Jesus was falsely accused by the Pharisees and Sanhedrins who said he's a drunkard, he's a demonized heretic, and crucified and placed behind prison bars of death. And Joseph ascended out of the prison to the right hand of Pharaoh. You know what's coming. He became the most powerful man on the earth at the time. And Jesus broke the prison bars of death and was resurrected to the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All power is given to him in heaven and in earth. Joseph had a coat of many colors. Jesus had a seamless robe that was so beautiful, so valuable that Roman soldiers gambled for it. Joseph's brothers went to Egypt three times for food before Joseph revealed himself to them. Listen, on the third trip to Egypt, Joseph revealed himself, I am Joseph. Hear this. The Jewish people have become a state of Israel for the third time. Revelation's about to come. Somebody say three times. The first time was with Joshua when they conquered the promised land. The second time was with Nehemiah when he rebuilt the walls after Babylon's captivity of 70 years. And the third time was in 1948 when Israel became a nation in one day. That's the God we serve, folks, that can make a country like Israel become a nation in one day. You think God can't fix you on a day? He can fix nations on a day. You think he can't fix your kids on a day? He can fix you on a day. He can heal you on a day. Is that right, Jason? Jesus is our healer. He can fix us. In fact, Isaiah said it this way. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. The point is, on the third time, when Jewish people became a nation or state, that's when the Messiah is going to reveal himself to them. We are living in a time when it's getting close to time of Messiah revealing himself to the Jewish people who rejected him. Note what did Joseph's brothers do when he revealed himself to them? They wept and they cried publicly. What are the Jews going to do when Jesus reveals himself as Messiah to them? The prophet Zechariah said, And they shall see him whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns at the death of his only son. The point is this. Every detail revealed in the life of Joseph, I repeat, to know the future, we must master the knowledge of the past. Because everything that God will do, he has already done. There's going to be no surprises, no surprises. Oh, I'm enjoying this tonight. The future of the world revealed in these seven feasts of the Lord is a rehearsal for a set. Everybody say set. set. And appointed time. Once again, the first of the feast is Passover. It's a story of redemption by blood. It's important to understand this. All of these things are going to happen and we are all going to live through them one way or another, either saved or lost, either ready 
are not ready. Either looking for or being blind to the coming of Jesus. Christian people falsely assume that these feasts are Jewish feasts. But the Bible said these feasts are the Lord's. Everybody say they're the Lord's feast. The New Testament church celebrated these feasts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Therefore let us keep the feast with sincerity of heart. Why seven? Because seven is the number of perfection and the number of completion. God created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day he rested. Folks, he didn't rest because he was tired. Omnipotence does not get tired. But God rested because he was establishing a pattern that he was never going to get away from. It was rehearsal of things to come. He was showing us that the end of the sixth day, there would be a rest day called the Sabbath. And at the end of the sixth feast, there's a seventh day called the millennial reign of a thousand years before the Feast of Tabernacles. And when we beat our swords and weapons into plowshares and we study war no more, the old song said, going to lay down our burdens one day down by the riverside and we'll study war no more. Isaiah 11 said, in that day, the seventh day, there shall be a root of Jesse and his rest shall be glorious. You know who that root of Jesse is? That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Say it with me, Jesus. And Isaiah 29 said, In that day, the seventh day, the deaf shall hear, the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall dance for joy, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Jesus Christ is the Son of David. Jesus is the sea walker. He's the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace, and He is our soon coming King to this earth. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. In these seven feasts, even though we're talking about the first three tonight, there is proof of the 7,000-year plan that God has for man. We're in the end of the sixth day or the 6,000th year. But let me repeat that seven is the number of completion. There's seven days in a week. There's seven feasts, seven ages and dispensations in the Bible, seven times seven or 70 times 7 is 49. And 7 times 7 is 49. And every 49 years in Israel, this is so, just so cool, was the year of Jubilee. So the 50th year was just a free year. Stay with me. In the year of Jubilee in Israel, all debts were forgiven. If your land was encumbered by anyone, it had to be returned to you debt free. I like that kind of deal. I wish America would pick up that. Because they say it belongs to the Lord. You can't, you can get a lease for 49 years from the government over there in Israel right now. Amen. But at the end of 49 years, it goes back to the state. Then Daniel comes along with this teaching. And he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. I'm going to slow down and read that real, real quick, real slowly. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. Now watch. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, 
and to anoint the most holy. Isn't that amazing? 70 weeks times 7 is 490. 490 years. In Scripture, this is wonderful. It's going to get better now. From the birth of Abraham, every 490 years, God does something sensational. Every 490 years. Prove it. You can, uh, you can proof text this. Hear me. Something breathtaking. From the birth of Abram, it is 490 years to the Passover and the exodus out of Egypt. 490 years. A powerful demonstration of God's ability to set men and women free from bondage. Abram came out of Ur of the Chaldees, found this place, looked for a city which had foundation, whose builder and maker was God. And Egypt is a type of sin in the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Moses is a type of a deliverer. The Red Sea is a type of water baptism experience. The cloud is a type of the Holy Spirit. The wilderness is a place of testing. The promised land is a place of reward. The whole gospel is expressed in this story. Some of you are going to go through a wilderness time of testing in your life, and you're going through it right now. I've got good news for you. The promised land is on the way. It's your next stop. It's your next stop. Now get this now, not only Abraham to Passover, but from Passover to dedication of Solomon's temple is 490 years. Why is that important, Pastor? Because there was a first tabernacle in the wilderness, God's first church, and it was mobile. And then the temple of Solomon, the second temple. God takes away the first so he can establish the second, Hebrews 10 and 9. And from the dedication of Solomon's temple to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, after Babylonian captivity is another 490 years <laughs> because Jerusalem is God's inheritance and God's going to dwell there. And that's why the capital of Israel doesn't need to be in Tel Aviv. It needs to be in Jerusalem. That's God's eternal capital for his people. Amen. And then here we go now from rebuilding of the walls. Daniel says at 483 years, the seed of David would be cut off. So it's not 490, it's 483. It's seven weeks shy of 490 years. Seven years shy. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. Exactly 483 years, 33 AD, Jesus bowed his head on the cross and gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. So where are the other seven years, Pastor? The other seven years will be when the Antichrist and seven years of tribulation is taking place. While the bride of Christ has already been taken out of here and is in heaven. Because the son of perdition cannot be revealed until he that letteth is taken away. That he is the Holy Spirit. If it said she, it was the church. It's he, it's the Holy Spirit. The only thing holding back the son of perdition, the Antichrist, is the Holy Spirit. Thank God we have the baptism of the Spirit in this house. And the presence of God in this house. And we're holding it back. Peter said one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. When his kingdom comes, we won't have to be asking ACLU if it's all right to pray. Every hospital will be emptied. No more terrorism. No more hatred. No more suicide bombers. No more Saddam Hussein's. No more Bin Laden's. No more ISIS. Because the Prince of Peace will be here. And he will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And us, the church, is going to be right there with him. Hallelujah. 
I'm going to be mayor of Austin then. I'm going to run on the Jesus ticket. There's nothing like living for Jesus Christ, folks. Hey, look in the front of the book, look in the back of the book. The church wins. Isaiah 11 said, in the millennial kingdom that a child can play on a cockatrice nest. The cockatrice is a deadly viper. If it bit you, you would take two steps and drop dead. So if a child could play on the nest of a viper and not be hurt, snakes will be defamed and depoisoned. God is going to take the bite out of the old serpent, Satan. He'll be bound for a thousand years falling. Oh, I could talk on this all night. Going to take the sting out of death. Glory to God. Amen. So be it. Let it happen, Lord. I don't know why I wrote that, but there it is. The Bible is the real gospel. It's correct. It's right. It's infallible. On target. Jesus is coming, folks. Sooner than later. This is a season of awesome grace. That's why there's no more times of the Bible. Jesus Christ ended all of that. And opened up a new dispensation called grace. But here let me tell you something now. Awesome remissions. Awesome healings. Awesome, awesome victories. There's no court in session in heaven right now. Because we're living under grace. There's no court. So don't say the Lord judges me hard. No he's not. No he's not judging you hard. You're judging yourself hard. Let God be God. And you be you. Now let me close with this. In 1948. Israel became a nation. Thank you Randy. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting through here on it. This is good stuff. 1948, in one day, Israel became a nation. I had a pastor who was my dear friend. I did his funeral. He pastored in East Texas, then he pastored in Dallas, Texas. And I, he was an Arab man. And uh, he lived in that land in 1948 as a young man. And those Jewish guerrillas came through there and gave them 48 hours to get out of that land and they, they left with nothing but the clothes on their back because Israel came back to reclaim the territory that God had promised them way back yonder in the days of Moses and Joshua and he said son I always I had a hard time liking Jewish people <laughs> until I received the Lord in my life and understood what was happening this is a God's plan and in 1948, they became a nation. This generation, the Bible says, shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. That's the book. So 80 years is by reason of strength. That's a generation. 70 years a man shall live, ten, three score and ten. And by reason of strength, four score years. So 80 years is by reason of strength. From 48 to 2000 is 52 years. And from 2000 to 2021 is 21 years. That's 73 years, folks. That's 73 years. That's seven years shy of 80. And if we preach and teach that the church is going to be gone before the Antichrist comes, we may be sitting right on top of the coming of Jesus Christ right now. I didn't declare that. I said we may be. I'm just proving it to you by the word of the Lord. The church is going to be grown. The Antichrist is going to be here for seven years. Three and a half, he's going to make peace. And then three and a half, he's going to break that covenant. And there's going to be holy hell to live with in this earth. And things are going to be released on this earth that you cannot imagine. The Feast of the Trumpets, folks, follows Pentecost. It's next. So I'm asking you to believe this with me. 
we need to hear a blow of a trumpet one day because there's going to be a rapture of the church. There's going to be a catching away of the church. If Jesus came out of the grave, we're going to come out of our grave. They did at Jerusalem. And if he ascended, we're going to ascend. We're going somewhere special one day. I'm not crazy here tonight. I'm telling you, there will be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the Christ. I believe that. I believe that. Many people, many theologians believe that the Feast of Trumpets is when the Lord will come. Or you say he's coming, Pastor? I don't know. The reason I taught this tonight is I know this is my last chance to teach to you before summer. And I don't want you to get loose and lazy with your salvation during the summer. I don't want you to be a non-church person during the summer. I want you to keep your commitment during the summer. Because there's a scripture in the Bible that said the summer is ended and we're not saved. You hear me. You must keep committed to Jesus Christ during the summer. You must. Because the Feast of Trumpets is just on the other side of summer. Hallelujah. Then the Day of Atonement. And then that thousand years and then we're going to have a wonderful feast of tabernacle a glorious glorious seven full days of praising and worshiping and thanking God for what he's done I'm so happy I'm so happy that we are through Pentecost and we're moving on and the summer's here and I want you to promise yourself not just promise me promise yourself and promise God that I will keep myself I will keep myself right in the kingdom of God all summer. I will not get lax. I will not get lazy. I'll not do goofy stuff. I'm going to live right. I'm going to do right. And when I'm home, I'm going to be in the house of God. Amen. Stand to your feet all over the house. Stand to your feet. Amen. 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 I remember when I was a kid, I used to be a kid, you know. I, I was raised out in West Texas, and the pastor of the church I was raised in sent some pictures to me the other day of when I was a junior in high school. I broke my left arm playing football, and I saw this kid with a cast, and I said, who is that? He had hair. And it was me. It was me. And there was my daddy, there was my mom, and brought tears to my eyes and those were the days that I made commitments and consecrations to God that I've never broken remember your creator in the days of your youth young people and always live for God Jesus Christ is the greatest thing you could ever choose in your life he's the greatest thing and you know what he's coming one day so what I'm just saying to you is be listening trumpet could blow this year and if it does hey we built a pretty building to leave in <laughs> I love you raise your hand let me bless you in the name of the Lord dear father I thank you for these precious people I thank you Lord because you were crucified for us you were you were buried Lord you took our sins to the grave you cleansed us of our sin buried our sin in the grave and then you came out of that grave victorious and then you ascended and you're coming back 
Lord, I believe the Bible. I believe the Word. And I thank you for the Word here tonight. Thank you for the joy of the journey. And thank you for this time. I love these people. They're all wonderful. Bring us back Sunday morning for another great day of worship and praise in the Word of the Lord. I bless you in the name of Jesus.